gather before your word this morning. And we once again hear of the wonderful covenants, these agreements that you've made with us. We know that this has nothing to do with us. It's not as if you do this, if we'll do that, or whatever. But these are promises that you've made to us, and you simply just ask us to walk before you and to be blameless. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to cut right to the chase this morning. I'm going to begin today's message by giving you the conclusion. And the conclusion is this. God promised to bless Abraham in a really big way, even though Abraham was far from perfect. God made a covenant with Abraham, guaranteeing him a great life whose influence would span all generations. And here's the punchline to today's message. You and I are in on it. You and I are in on it. All God promised to Abraham, he has promised to you as well. Now, you may wonder why I'm giving you the conclusion at the beginning. The reason is, I could have waited to the end of the message to tell you all of this. I could have spoken for my usual 20, 25, 30 minutes about the history of Abraham and his special covenant with God. And then I could have said, and oh, by the way, this all belongs to you as well. But I know some of you, and I'm afraid that you would have said, uh, what? Uh, what did he say? Uh, what's involved in this covenant again? I, I, I really wasn't paying much attention. So that's why I'm telling you up front, I'm giving you a reason to pay attention. The reason being that what God promised to Abraham, you and I are in on this. The wonderful things God promised to do in his life, well, we're going to talk about what that was, uh, about why he was chosen, what's expected of him in the process, and, and in the process we're also going to learn a little bit about Abraham. And you're also going to learn a little bit about what God wants to do in your life and in my life. So, let's back up the wagon a little bit from, from Genesis 17. Let me talk a little bit about the story of Abraham. Now, when Abraham was a young man, 75 years old, uh, he was living in a place called Haran. And in those days, his name was, you probably caught it up there, Abram. Not Abraham, but Abram. Uh, his wife was not Sarah, but Sarai. But one day, God says to Abram, leave your country, leave your relatives, your father's house, and go to the land where I'll show you. I think that will be up, somebody's will be up on the screen here. And then for the very first time, God spoke a promise into Abraham's life. And here you see next, Genesis 12. He said, I'm going to cause you to become the father of a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, with that promise, God sent Abram, who was already a very wealthy man, with a whole bunch of cattle, a whole bunch of people who worked for him, took along his nephew Lot and all of Lot's family, and they headed off for parts unknown. I always like that story. What would you think if God came to you in a vision tonight and said, I want you to go somewhere, leave tomorrow morning, and you said, where? And God says, you'll know when you get there. Most of you would like, well, couldn't I have a year or more, or no, maybe better yet, no. <laughs> so for a while, they lived this kind of a nomadic life. 
but they eventually end up in Egypt. They actually kind of go through the promised land, but they end up in Egypt. And when they get there, Abraham suddenly is in a panic. And you'll see here in the next verses, it said, he said to his wife, you're a very beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him, then we can have her. But if you say you're my sister, then the Egyptians will treat me well because of their interest in you, and they will spare my life. What a weasel that guy was. <laughs> but next, you'll see, the Bible says, and sure enough, when they arrived in Egypt, everyone spoke of her beauty. Now, I want to stop there and make a little commentary Abraham now was over 75 years old. In another passage in Scripture, we find out that Sarah was 10 years younger than him. So at this point, she's on the downhill side of 65. And yet people were still talking about what a beautiful woman she was. So to this story, all I can say is, way to go, Sarah. And shame on you, Abraham. But let's take a look and see what happened next. Uh, 1215. When the palace officials saw her, they sang of her praises to the king, their pharaoh, and she was taken into his harem. Now, can you believe this clown did such a thing? Well, i got to tell you, God was none too happy with Abram. He wasn't too happy with Pharaoh, so what he did is he sent a whole plague on the Pharaoh's household, and as a result, Pharaoh got really pretty cranky with Abram, and he returned Sarah back to Abram and invited, if you will, Abram to leave the country ASAP. So, now we got Abe, and we got his company, and they're traveling north, up to what we know as the Promised Land. As I mentioned earlier, Abram had great wealth. Lots of livestock, lots of silver, lots of gold, lots of servants. He's traveling with his nephew, Lot, and all of Lot's group. They're so large that they were having trouble with grazing lands and wells and not enough well space. Not and so Abram actually, if you think about this, tries to give away the promised land. And the way he does this is he says, they go up the hill with his nephew and says, okay, take a look out here. And you decide. If you go this way, we'll go this way. Doesn't make any difference to me. Fortunately, Lot does not choose the promised land. Instead, he spots a couple of towns that seem kind of interesting to him. Towns called Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe you've heard of them. A little bit south of Waco, I think, right? <laughs> well, Sodom and Gomorrah. And you may know what eventually happens in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abram and his tribe, of course, move in another direction. God once again spoke to him. You see this now in Genesis 13, 18. Look as far as you can see in every direction, he says. I'm going to give all this land to you and your offspring as a permanent possession. I'm going to give you so many descendants like dust, they cannot be counted. Take a walk in every direction, he says, and explore the new possessions I am giving you. Now, in chapter 14 of Genesis, Lot runs into some trouble. And all i got to say is, if you choose to live in Sodom and Gomorrah, trouble will find you. An army actually invades Sodom and Gomorrah, and they capture Lot and his family. They haul them off. Now, when Abraham hears about this, Abraham, believe it or not, is able to generate an army. 
318 guys, the Bible says, and they go out and they attack this other group of people and they rescue Lot and they recovered not only everything that Lot had, but in the process Abraham took everything that these other guys had. So boom, he just became exponentially even richer and greater than ever before. Let's move on, Genesis 15. Here's the next story. Afterward, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision, Don't be afraid, Abraham, for I'll protect you. Your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? You've given me no children, so one of my servants will have to be my heir. The Lord said, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you have a son of your own to inherit everything I've given you. Then the Lord brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and said, Look up into the heavens, count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. Now, look at the next verse here, verse 6. So, and Abraham, or Abram, believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous. Why? Because of his faith. And here's what happens next. God's promised Abram a son. But at this point now, Abram is in his mid to late 80s. And Sarai is in her mid to late 70s. A little bit past childbearing age, wouldn't you say? So Sarah comes up with this brilliant plan. She decides that one of her servant girls should bear Abram's son, and since the girl was a slave, the child would be, in legal sense, the son of Abram and Sarah. And so here comes Sarah, and she presents Abram with this servant girl named Hagar. And eventually Hagar gives birth to a son, and they call that son Ishmael, who, by the way, is the founder of the Arab people. You see how some of this stuff kind of comes around and bites you a little bit later in history? Now, God loved Hagar. God loved Ishmael, and he took care of them. But this was not God's plan for Abram and Sarai. I mean, so 13 years later, God comes again, now they're in their 90s and 80s, and spoke and said, uh, there's something going to happen. And now, now we're right back up to where Matt left off. So, I want to get to this question. Why did God choose this guy, Abram, to make a covenant with? Well, three different things, three different reasons. First of all, God chose Abram in spite of the fact that he'd made some mistakes in his past. I mean, that whole deal with Pharaoh and Abram allowing his wife to become part of another man's harem in order to save his own hide, that's a pretty ugly story. I don't know anybody who could explain away that man's actions. I mean, I read some commentator one time said, well, you can't be too hard on Abram. I mean, after all, it was a different age, it was a different culture. And when I read that, I just shut the book. I said, you're dead wrong. Abraham's actions are wrong. I don't care what generation you live in. You do not put your wife up as a prostitute or allow another man to take her as a member of his harem just to save your own skin. Coward is probably too kind a word for Abram. I mean, another mistake, of course, that Abram makes is letting Sarah talk him into this arrangement with Hagar. But men being men, I doubt that she had to twist his arm very hard. 
God promised Abraham a son. Abraham and Sarah conspired to uh, compromise the promise of God. Instead of holding out for a miracle in their 90s and 80s, instead of holding out for God's timing, they took a shortcut and they caused even more problems than ever before. Now, I'm just pointing out a few of those things. There are a whole bunch of other worse things that Abraham did. In fact, you know, allowing Sarah to mistreat Hagar, to drive them out into the desert, and to also let her and the baby boy Ishmael die. I just tell you a few things about Abraham because I want you to realize Abram was not perfect. He made some mistakes, but his mistakes did not negate God's covenant promise with him. And friends, neither do your mistakes. None of your mistakes either negate God's covenant with you. Now, if you were here last week when we started this first covenant, remember the rainbow covenant, we were talking about Noah. You may remember that God is a God of second chances. You're going to see the next verse here in verse 5. I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. See, just like he did with Abram, God is ready to give you a new name, a new start, a new hope. And if you paid attention during the confession and the announcement of forgiveness before, you would have gotten your new name. No longer are you called a descendant of Adam. Did you catch who you are now? You're the child of God. You've got a new name. Here's the second reason God chose it. God chose Abraham in spite of his mistake because Abram had a habit of worshiping God. Now, as I was telling Abram's story before, I intentionally left out a detail. And the reason I intentionally left it out is because I needed to save it for, for point number two. And this is it. At every key event in Abram's life, you can go back and read it in Genesis, but at every key event in Abram's life, the Bible says that, God, or that Abram built an altar to God. This was a pattern of this man's life. His life, it seems, was just built on worship. Yeah, he made some mistakes. But the pattern of his life was devotion to God. God used Abraham, and God could uh, bless Abraham because Abraham never let God out of his sight, so to speak. See, God was never very far from his thoughts. So I'd ask you this question today. Do you want to experience the blessing and provision of God? Do you want to experience the blessing and provision of God? If so, then at every turn in your life, worship God. Just that simple, worship God. Remember to acknowledge His presence. Remember to thank Him for His goodness. Remember to give Him the glory that's due. Let the pattern of your life be a life of worship. Here's the third reason. God chose Abram because he was willing to take God at his word. Look at verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith. See, faith is like a key. It's the key to unlocking the power of God in your life. If you have no faith, you're not getting anything open. Faith 
is the key to experiencing miracles. A couple of weeks I'm going to talk about miracles. One of the questions I'm going to ask is, do you believe in miracles? Now, I'm not talking about somebody making a three-quarter court shot in a basketball game. But do you believe in miracles? And a lot of people will say, well, I kind of do, maybe, but probably not. I've never seen one, they'd say. Well, it's maybe because they don't have the key to see where miracles come from. Now, I'm going to tell you about the greatest miracle of all, or one of the greatest miracles of all. One of the greatest miracles of all is that your sins, my sins, could be forgiven, and we could be made righteous in God's sight. Now, what made that miracle possible? Not good works, not good looks, but faith. Faith unlocked that great miracle of forgiveness of sins. The Abraham was willing to believe in the blessings of God. So God was able to bless Abraham. And if you're willing to believe in the blessings of God, in your own life, God will be able to bless you. But now maybe some of you say, well, I'm not sure I deserve it. Guess what? You don't. Neither do I. Neither did Abraham. Neither did Noah. Neither did David. Name anybody about the They did not deserve the blessings of God. You will never, ever be blessed because you're worthy. You'll be blessed because God is good. Faith, living in the expectation of God's blessing, is that key that unlocks the door. Now, we know a little bit about Abraham. Not a really great guy, but a guy that God used nonetheless. You know some reasons why God chose it. He made this promise. The next question is very simply this. So what's now expected of Abraham? But God says to him back in verse 1, Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. The King James Version actually has it slightly different. It says, walk before me and be blameless. Now, I like that. Walk before me. I mean, this is the essence of the Christian life. You walk with God. You live in the presence of God. Guess what, folks? You did not come to church today. I hope you didn't come to church today because you wanted to get into the presence of God. You don't come to church to get into God's presence. You're in it every minute of your life. I mean, everywhere I go, I walk in the presence of God. You want to be blameless? Walking with God comes first. God doesn't say, friends, get yourself blameless, and then you can walk with me. He says, walk with me, and guess what? Then you will become blameless. Go ahead to verses 9 to 14. God says to Abram, let's get an interesting part here. He said, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. Now, if I told you before that you all are in on this covenant, here are the terms. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. I bet there was a collective yikes in the camp when that was announced. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. 
You ever want to know why they did that on the eighth day? Well, prior to modern medicine, that was about the day that the blood would begin to coagulate so the little baby wouldn't bleed to death. I guess God knows that too, doesn't he? This applies not only to the members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. No pun intended in that last line. You weren't paying attention anyway, were you? (laughs) Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off. Okay. (laughs) Now, um, we learn something. Now, some of you are going, uh, hold it. (laughs) Do I run the risk of being cut off from the covenant here? But you've got to move into the New Testament. That's what we have the whole Bible. We learn in the New Testament that circumcision is not required for salvation. It's an Old Testament symbol. Now look at Romans chapter 2.29. True circumcision is not a cutting of the body, but a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. See, what Paul says is the symbol is not as important as what the symbol represents. Now, what does the symbol represent? I mean, the very words God spoke to Abraham in the beginning of this chapter are these. Here, here, Here it is. Walk before me. And be blameless. That's what that symbol represents. If you want to be in the blessing or receive the being on the blessings of God, it takes more than some participation in a ritual. It takes a lifelong, day in, day out commitment to walk before Him, to live in His presence, and in the process to become blameless. Or if you want the church word, to live out a sanctified life in response to the justification God worked out for you through Jesus. See, friends, God is seeking a relationship with you. He doesn't really want you just to acknowledge him kind of from a distance. God wants all of us to be in his presence. He wants you to know him and love him even as he knows you and loves you. So, next question. What is God's covenant with Abraham? Well, I want to very quickly look at what's involved with the covenant because as I said at the beginning, this covenant includes you and me. And I'm not making this stuff up. In fact, in Galatians 3, verse 8, this is what Galatians 3, 8 says, And so it is, all who put their faith in Christ, pay attention, share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. You're in on it. God's hardwired you into this covenant. At least all of of you who put your faith in Christ. So, what's involved in this blessing? You know, some of you that are bottom line folks, what do I get out of it? Well, okay. Uh, Number one, it's a blessing of influence. God said in Genesis 12, 2, I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you would like to be a blessing to other people? This says you will be blessed. You will be blessed. But even greater than that, you'll be a blessing to others. You'll be a blessing to your children. 
You'll be a blessing to your children's children. If you walk before God and live blameless lives, you're going to be a blessing to everybody who comes into contact with you. All this is saying is God wants to make you a blessing for other people. It's a promise that he made to Abram, or Abraham, and he said, you're in on it, if you have faith in Christ. Here's number two. It's a blessing of abundance. If you look at Genesis 13, and I'm getting hot, I don't know why. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sweating up here, the air conditioning's probably on too, but I'm... <laughs> Uh, Genesis 13, look as far as you can see in every direction. I am going to give all this land to you and your offspring as a permanent possession. Now, you get real further in, in chapter 17, he also says, I'm going to make you extremely fruitful. I'm going to give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live in a foreigner, as a foreigner to you and your descendants. Now, our inheritance today is not some specific parcel of land. But it still is the abundant provision of God. I, I can tell you and be absolutely sure of this, that God will not leave you helpless. God will not leave you hopeless. Uh, he will provide for you. And if you're willing to believe in him, and if you walk in his presence, and you are blameless in his sight, he will bring abundance into your life. But I'm not telling you that that's going to be money. How and in what form God brings abundance is entirely up to God. It just may be you enjoy life. That's pretty good. It may mean you have good health. It may mean that you have a great job. I don't know how God is going to supply it. But the one thing I always remember is that every promise of God has a premise. You want this? Walk blameless before him. Just that simple. Here's the third thing. It's, it's a blessing of permanence. goes on in chapter 17 and says, This is the everlasting covenant. That's why I call this the, the forever covenant, the all-time covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I, again, there's all these passages that many of you know from the Bible where God says, I will not abandon you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Or even to the end of the age, I will be with you. I will always be your God. Now, there are going to be some hard times in everybody's life. I told you last week, if you're not experiencing hard times now, just wait. They'll come. We all have them. The road gets rough. There will be times when you feel all alone. But you remember, you are never all alone. Never. He is your God. He has made an everlasting covenant with you, a covenant that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, the events in this story took place about 4,000 years ago. They continue to take place today in the lives of everyone who's willing to live like Abraham did. 
And to those people who live like Abraham, God has promised to pour out his blessings in their life. Here's all he asks of you. Walk before me and be blameless. The question is, are you ready to take that first step? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for including us in your covenant promises, the the forever promises, the all-time promises. We thank you for including us in the promises that you made to Abram, to Noah, to all of the many other people. And Lord, may we be the kind of people uh, who willingly say, Father, I wish to walk before you and be blameless. And so we pray that you guide us by the Holy Spirit, by your word, and may we forever follow your footsteps. And in the process of following your footsteps, may we leave some footsteps behind us that others would follow as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.